Hello, you are listening to Mobile Couch, and this is a show where we talk about mobile development. This show is hosted by Russell Vanovich, and you say hello. <laughs> hello, I, I I thought I was Ben. Yeah, and uh, uh, you're, you're beached no, as bro. No, no, I'm not. I'm not beached. I I I don't actually live anywhere near a beach. So you're not beached as? No, okay. no, because I actually live like a long way inland. Huh. So. Yeah. There you go. Well, yeah. this this New Zealand Good accent isn't going to work, so maybe we'll just throw it out the window. Yeah. And myself, Jelly, a.k.a. Daniel Farrelly. And this is episode number 74. 74. And Whoa. it's the new year. It's 2016. Whew. Does it feel 2016-ish to you? Oh, that 2015 just flew past. I feel like I haven't even had Christmas yet. Indeed. Indeed. And... uh if you listen to Topical as well as Mobile Couch, which, let's be honest, you should, you will have noticed that Friday's episode of Topical had Ben, who normally is on Mobile Couch with me here, but we changed it up just to, you know, change things up as as we do. And uh, so Russell is is joining me on the couch today. This this couch is very mobile. I, I like the wheels you put on it to... It's very frictionless. You yes. must have oiled it up like really well and it just slides across the floor. Wee. It's so it's so mobile. It's so mobile that it can be both in Canberra and Adelaide seemingly at the same time. I'm a little bit concerned at how mobile it is though. Like a couch that moves this fast just doesn't feel natural. Like I don't know how I feel about sitting on it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But anyway, this is the serious show, so I'm going to put in my uh, serious face. So a new year means new new things means probably no follow up. We haven't. I mean, we can't have follow up from from last year. That that would be crazy. So let's just get straight into the topic. Let's just get straight into the topic. And Russell, you have something that's kind of on your mind, I believe. I do. I actually have a topic that spans 14 years, if you can believe it. So I graduated from a university, it's true I have a degree, back in 2001 and I have been programming ever since and we now find ourselves in 2016. Actually, I miscounted, that's 15 years, not 14 years. There there you go. So I thought, let me know if you think this has been an interesting topic, but we could talk a little bit about the science of programming and maybe what makes good code and what makes bad code and what, you know, all these things that programmers get obsessed over and programmers... I'm sure you know, like to obsess over things. So I like that topic. I think that's a good topic. You did have me concerned there for a minute when you said that it spans 14 years because I was like, that's a bit long for an episode. I mean, I know this is Mobile Couch and we, we like to do things fast and loose, but that might be a bit long. Oh, look, there's there's a show but, called Hardcore History. It goes for three hours. People love it. And that's a really long you know, show with lots of details. I figure if we went for 15 years, they would, they would only love it more, surely. <laughs> I, c- I can only imagine how long that would take me to edit. <laughs> <laughs> you reckon Logic could be able to cope with that? Logic could be like, no, 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 no. It takes me about an hour and a half, maybe two hours to edit an episode of Topical, which is usually 20, 20 to 30 minutes. So, yeah. Yeah, that seems like it would take a really long time. That's like a lifetime project. <laughs> wow, but it, it could be your last work. Your uh, there's a name for this, Magnus Opus. Is that is that right? Is that the right Latin? I believe that's that's something something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do like the topic. I do like the topic, and uh, I think I think it's the sort of thing where um, they, they they can be like there can be two very different things between like uh, 
what you're taught is right and what you learn is right. Yeah, and I don't think it's even just that. I think what's interesting is what, how your perception changes of, uh, you know, what's what's good and what's bad over time. Because I don't know about you, but I I did a like a computer science degree. We got taught about all sorts of, you know, theory right down to how to apply like relational algebra to a to a database. So something which I assure you I've never ever 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 used since. I'm sure there's someone out there who has, but you know, university teaches you these broad sort of concepts across, you know, all sorts of things, networking, uh, you know, project management, um, you know, how to design code, you know, what patterns are. And you get taught a lot of things. And I find you leave, you know, university. It doesn't matter if you didn't go to university, you know, TAFE, whatever. However you learnt programming, that's generally where it starts. And then you go out into the real world and you get exposed to, you know, you've sort of heard all these theories. You get exposed to how it actually works in practice. Yeah, I, w- I would say that that's about right. I mean, I didn't do university, so I didn't do the whole, you know, learning from teachers and stuff like that. But even like, even just like learning code for the first time and doing, um, like I, I did a few courses like uh, with when I was in the public service because that's what you do. You have meetings and go to like courses. It's pretty much all you do. <laughs> uh, and, and so a lot of those courses were thinking about things. I, I remember I, I, I used to have, I don't believe I have it anymore. I'm looking up at where my folders live. I don't see it there. So I don't think I have it anymore, but I used to have a big folder. It was about maybe a couple of inches thick, five, six centimeters, I guess. Uh, and it was, uh, it was about Java patterns. Oh yeah, and yeah probably I don't got a similar even, book. I don't even know Java. <laughs> I don't even know why I had that. <laughs> but it was one, it was something that we uh, that we had to we, like a, some course that we went to while I was in the public service. And I don't think I ever like I don't think I ever cracked cracked it open because it's just like it it, it just really didn't you know it it really didn't end up applying to the the you know the the things that I do every day. So, yeah, no, I, I mean I found something very similar. But the thing I found is when I first joined the workforce. I was so eager to apply all these different um, you know, patterns and methodologies and abstractions and all these other things that you learned about, you know, so eager to apply them in every aspect of work that for a while I reckon that was almost more important than the code itself. Like the important thing was to show that, you know, you knew all these high-level concepts and you knew, you know, how to abstract things and what patterns to use here and what patterns to use there and what the correct, you know, data storage type was whether you should have it, you know, in a B tree or some kind of hash map or an array list or an array. Like there was all these different conceptual things and I was trying to apply them all to my work. And I reckon, I reckon I wrote some of the worst code that I've ever written, you know, during any period of my development. And I don't think it was just because, you know, I was, I was fresh and I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't have experience. That was part of it. But I think the bigger part of it was that, you know, it's always drummed into you that, um, you know, coding is a science. I mean, they even call the course, you know, computer science. And people are like, you know, science is this and science is that and it has to be like absolute. And I'm I'm starting to wonder later in my career whether coding is actually maybe more of an art. I I, I think I did like uh, like my early code was, was quite terrible. And again, it's not just because it was like I was fresh. It was like I look back and it's, you know, it, it works. It works fine, but it's just not... It's just not really well thought out, and I think the I think that comes with a, a certain amount of experience, right? Like being able to y- you apply the things that you you know that you learn through experience as you as you gain kind of more of that. And I think I think my code has gotten a lot better as I've kind of you know gone on in years. Yeah, I'm old. 
but I think there's I think there's kind of another there's another aspect to it almost and it kind of I mean even if it is even if it is science even if it is art I guess the fact that we're like I mean the the code itself the the concept of you know what's good and what's bad it like has to change and grow as as you know we get new languages you're not going to apply all the same things that you did in objective C when you use swift for for example because it it's no longer relevant it's no longer required but there are new things that you have to you have to take into account and so you know as as things like code and just you know computing in general grows and gets better and better and better over the years so has you know your concepts of you know what's good what's required the science that's behind it gets kind of has to grow and change as well yeah and i think this is this leads to a really interesting thing because I, I assume the majority of your listeners to this podcast do some kind of programming, or maybe they're involved in, you know, in the world of programming somehow. Theoretically, yeah, yeah, or or they're interested in it, so they're they're happy for us to talk yeah. about. It. But I think for a while, you know, you, you're held back by the level of experience you have. So I remember a time when I'd be presented with a problem, and literally every single part of that problem I'd never solved before. So generally in programming, what you want to do is assemble a whole bunch of you know, small things that you know into some kind of working, um, you know, complete, coherent solution. And often some of those pieces you can pull out of old projects or you can remember, oh, you know, I did that six months ago and here's how I did it and so I'm going to slightly tweak that. But the initial problem is you haven't done any of it and so you're stuck with, oh, I have to solve this whole entire thing. Um, so, you know, I go on the Google and I ask people and eventually you form some kind of thing that, you know, meets the solution but it's it's not great. But I find the thing that's more interesting thing to me is later in your career you're no longer held back necessarily by things you haven't done at some point you've done enough that you can almost attempt you know anything in the programming world you might not be you know great at it but you can definitely you know give anything a crack and you have all the building blocks required to to do that and so I'm kind of interested in at that point in your career how do you continue to get you know better because you you know at, at some point you've learned everything that you need to know and while there's always new languages and new concepts and new frameworks and things like that, I'm fascinated about, you know, what goes into, you know, making for, for better code, I guess. Because at the end of the day, as a, as a developer, as a programmer, your primary job is to, to write code. You know, it's just like a poet is, is writing poetry. Your job as a programmer is to write code. And people measure the quality of that code in all sorts of different ways. But, I think as as a programmer, when you sit down and you look at your code, I'm I'm fascinated by, you know, how different people see their own things that they produce because I'm not sure if you've seen this situation, but you get almost any programmer off the street and you give him a different programmer's, uh, him or her, a different programmer's code and nine times out of ten they'll say this code is terrible, it needs to be rewritten. I don't know if you've had a lot of that in your experience. I, I think I've I think I've felt a lot of that in, in my experience <laughs> previously. Both code that is better than mine and worse than mine, which is kind of a bit scary. But I, I think it kind of opens up for, for one thing that, one thing that might actually be, um, kind of a key thing to being like becoming a better developer, even, uh, even when you've kind of reached the, the peak of your knowledge, if, uh, like, like you were saying before. And that's, I mean, it, it straight up comes down to, like being actually open for starters to you know to actually learning new things and learning from places that you wouldn't necessarily expect it. I'm trying to think of a really good example of that. I don't have one that I can that that I could just kind of come up come up with off the top of my 
the top of my head, but you know, there, there have been times when I've overthought problems because I, you know, feel like I have to apply this and apply that and apply the other thing from, from my experience. And yet somebody else can come along less, less developed, a less, less kind of experienced than I am. Uh, I, but, uh, you know, solves it in a much cleaner, simpler way because they don't have, they don't have the baggage. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, th- I think I know. I think I know what you're getting at. I mean, and if you want to talk about, you know, what does it mean to be a good programmer? I, I think the first thing you have to talk about is you can't be, you can't really be too arrogant or too full of yourself or just completely closed off to new ideas. Because even if you yeah. look at someone and you're like, well, you know, he or she is worse than me at programming in almost every way, there still might be things that that they've learnt or little concepts that they have that that you don't have and when you see them you'd be like oh you know what the the way you know Sally solved that is actually really really novel like I haven't seen that before you know if I introduce that into my coding style I'm going to save myself you know tons of time and and lots of lines of code yeah I was absolutely and kind of along those lines I've started getting more and more into the idea of not relying on my own like my own things like I've I've always been the sort of person where uh, like where if I can write it myself, I will write it myself. That be- partially because I get some, you know, some uh, perverted pleasure out of doing so. Oh, I don't think you're alone. <laughs> A lot of people are like that. Yeah, like you know, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think I've said before. I, I still I, like I, I've written all the things that I that I use for things like you know my podcast platform and all that sort of stuff. I wrote, I wrote, like I wrote it all myself because I get I get kind of some sort of enjoyment out of doing so and by using something like I don't know Squarespace, the only one, blah blah blah. Uh, you know that that wouldn't provide me with the same you know the same pleasure. And I, I think that like as a programmer starting to realize that some of the things that are out there uh like you know libraries and 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 other people like and uh, you know sample code and stuff like that sometimes sometimes that can actually be better than the stuff that i've written obviously you take it with a grain of salt you don't uh, you know just run in whole hog just dive in without checking it out first (laughs) but but like i've i've i'm becoming a little bit more a little bit less wary of code of other people's code yeah and i th- i think it's actually like it's actually working out better for me in the long run yeah i, I think yeah. that's definitely part of it is that you accept that as much as you might enjoy building x by yourself that if someone's already built it and they've done a good job of it and it's been more thoroughly used and tested than yours have then it's entirely possible that their implementation even if it's not technically superior might actually be better than yours because it's covered you know maybe all the edge cases that you haven't or maybe it's thought through some of the the things that you haven't seen that they've had reported you know six months ago and have made changes since and i think that that brings us to an interesting thing i I keep saying this but it really does is that i've come to think of code in almost a zen-like way and that's that the best code is the code that's actually really simple and that sounds really obvious but I, i think what I found earlier in my career is that, you know, you know all this science and you know all this maths and you can, you know, bit shift things and all that kind of stuff. And it, it's very easy to get caught up in writing really complex code that other people don't understand. You're like, look, what I do is I take these two variables and then I do a modulus and I do this and then do, 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 do. and there's a big complicated process and then I end up with this result. And the result is correct and look at how amazing you know, my my function is. And these days that, that really doesn't impress me. Like if I come across a piece of code that 
uh, just looks really complicated and has lots of different things to it. I almost think that's worse than something that's just looks really simple. Like I, I like looking at a piece of code that's very, you know, short, very concise, you know, very kind of modular and just go, yeah, you know what, that, that looks really good. And, and some people will look at that and go, well, that wasn't a very smart, you know, programmer. They haven't used any of the advanced, you know, features of the language. They haven't done this. There's not enough abstraction. There's not enough like use of patterns. But to me, it's almost more important that your code is simple. And another way I gauge that is if, if your code only has the occasional comment in there, you know, where it's needed, I think that's another sign of, you know, really high quality code. I really don't like going into a code base and just seeing comments everywhere. Cause, I, cause I think you've either documented things that are obvious or if they're not obvious, you know, why, why aren't they obvious? I mean, do you, do you feel the same way? I do. I, I think I've, uh, I've gotten, I've started using less and less comments in my code. I'm a very visual person. And so for a long time, I would use comments as a way of like fencing off bits of code. I don't really know why. I mean, like in between different, different methods, you'd have a, yeah, a block like of comments. in, in, well, in, in between, not in just methods, but like if you go inside a method and then it's like, you know, laid out with, you know, it, it's almost laid out like in paragraphs. And, you know, with, with English, you, you know, each paragraph is supposed to represent one specific idea. And so as I like go through and do various things throughout the method, it would, it used to be laid out where, where it was like a few lines, you know, comment and then a few lines, then comment and then a few lines and comment and a few lines as, as, as it kind of explained where it was going. I, I've started doing a lot less of that now. See, I, I still do that, but I do that with new lines. So I find that, you know, writing code can, can always be thought about, you know, like writing prose, you know, like writing, English or whatever your native language is, is, is you can put a lot of care into it. You know, you can split things into paragraphs and you can put, you know, the right amount of punctuation and spacing. I do the same thing in a method. So if there's a method that, you know, does one overall thing, but maybe in three steps, I'll often put a new line between each one of those steps. And it's, it's yep. a subtle thing, but when you go back to read the code and everything is grouped nicely like that, it makes it a lot easier to read. Yeah. I mean, I do, I do this, I do a similar thing now. I've got a lot more, you know, spacing rather than, rather than comments. But I, overall, I, I feel like, you know, the style, that's, that sort of, you know, style based stuff has let, like, has changed and gotten, you know, gotten better for me over, over the years as well. Um, and I've certainly, like, I've certainly had things where I've, you know, gone nuts on the comments and things that I haven't, you know, gone quite so nuts. I, I do feel like I agree with you though in saying that, you know, uh, like you, you only comment the the bits that are not necessarily obvious, and if they're not necessarily obvious, then is there potentially a way of making the code itself more obvious? Yeah, definitely. And I think the the other place I comment things is when I've done something that I know someone else will look at and go, "Oh, that's wrong," but it's done yep. um, for a particular reason. It's like, no, no. If if you change this, like the following is going to happen. Just just trust me. And I normally document that if there's some kind of um, you know, bug report or something you can link to as well. I'll often just stick the link in there as well and say, hey, this is where, you know, this is documented because that's handy. Like I find sometimes I'll read through like someone else's code and be like, oh, why'd they do that wrong? And then I'll go and fix it and then I'll just break what, whatever they fixed like, you know, six months ago. I'll just reintroduce a bug and they'll be like, what'd you do that for? And I'll be like, well, the code was wrong. And I'll say, no, 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 no. Like it, it actually had to, you know, function like that for these reasons. I'll be like, oh, yeah, I see now. Yep. Yep. I th- I think it kind of brings up a, a very kind of core point for me anyway, and something that I've really been thinking about a lot lately. And that's that, like, I feel like programming is almost 90% just thinking about what you're writing as opposed to just straight up writing. 
And I think I mean, I, I think I even mentioned went so far as to mention it on a previous episode. But uh, like, what what I mean by that is that like sometimes uh, when you're writing code, right, and you you're coming across you know little problems and whatever, and thinking about what you're writing on the run, you're kind of coding in a reactionary sense. If something pops up, you can be you can fix it, and it's done. Like you know, you fix it, and it's. Fix it yeah, like you, fix you find a particular and bug and then over you, and add, over again. you add like an if statement. You're like, there you go, I'll fix that one. Right. Whereas I find that if I think about it beforehand, like if I th- if I look at what I'm doing and actually just spend some time just kind of analyzing it and thinking it through in my head and uh, kind of, you know, feeling it out, I guess, before I even, you know, touch the keyboard, I, I tend to write code better and save myself usually save myself time because I'm not like having to go back and fix a bug that I, you know, introduced halfway through that in order to kind of keep moving on. Yeah. It, because I've, you know, I'm thinking about, but, but because I'm thinking about it in advance, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of planning ahead. I'm kind of, you know, thinking through the potential problems as, you know, uh, ahead of time rather than kind of a, in a reactionary sense. Yeah, I, I definitely find that as well. And I mean, the, uh, the other thing I've started to do, which almost seems counterintuitive, is I've stopped um, running things as much. So if I'm writing something new, I I will almost write the entire thing before I try and run it because what I found is if you try and run it too early, what you end up doing is you try and put in, um, you're like, oh, I forgot about this edge case. So you're like, if, else, you know, return, blah. And then you end up with handling that many edge cases in really weird ways because you've handled them one by one as they've come up. Whereas if you'd thought through the whole thing and written it all out and then realized, no, like if this gets to here, then that's wrong, then you can actually stop it, I guess, much further up the, the call stack. And I know that sounds a bit abstract, but I think what you end up with is is much cleaner code. Like if every bit of code is like responsible for the problems that it's meant to deal with, like I know sometimes we get bug reports and, you know, in a language like Java, you'll see like null pointer exception. And the tempting thing there to just go is like, if something null, then do something else. But that might not actually be the correct solution. You know, it could be that yeah. the fact that that's, you know, null or nil or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, three three calls up was actually the problem. Like that's that's the point where it should have been stopped, not further down the code where it actually crashed, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I absolutely agree with that. And yeah, just thinking thinking of th- through the stuff. Like, and uh, I, I remember mentioning on a, on an episode ages ago, that uh that I don't necessarily run all the time. Like I, I will write, you know, a good chunk of an API if I'm if, you know, assuming that's what I'm developing before I you know before I run it. And people I got asked like that that's a, like do do you at least build? Like is that seems nuts to me. I, 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 I honest honestly find that uh by not running quite so often, I'm not just kind of basing all of my uh, all of my kind of moves insofar as like, you know, writing is concerned based on simply does it run or does it not? I'm kind of, uh, I'm forced to think about it and being forced to think about it means that you're going to kind of think through the edge cases. You're going to think through pot, like, you know, where, where problems might kind of come up. I mean, it doesn't solve every problem. And there are certainly, you know, things, you know, reasons why you should be running as you're programming. I don't think I'll ever, I will ever, you know, build something to completion and then finally, okay, now I can run. (laughs) I'm going to submit it to the app store, then I'll press run (laughs) once I'm done. Yeah. But the concept of like not running quite so often, forcing yourself to think about what you're writing as, as opposed to just basing your, does it run or, you know, does it work or does it not on whether or not it runs is, uh, 
I think it's very important. Yeah, I, I think the if we're going to give out like tips, I don't know if we're at that this section, but I, the other one I have is that if I'm doing something new that I'm not entirely sure is going to work or I'm not entirely sure how it's going to work, I'll often just write that super messy. Like I'll just dump it in one method that'll be like, you know, 300 lines long and it'll be full of like cut and pasted code and hard coded variables and all sorts of things just until I figure out exactly how that thing works and I get it to look, you know, let's say I'm working on some code that does something to an image or whatever. I get the image to look exactly how I want and then I look at it and I'm going, okay, what are the bits that I can pull out of this that were actually required and what are the bits that, you know, I was just messing with or bits I don't need or, you know, dead ends that I ended up with. And I find if you do all that sort of exploratory stuff like in a super messy fashion, it's almost like you've gotten out you know, a bit of butcher's paper and you just like, you draw all over it, um, you know, you move stuff around, you cross things out and then you finally see, oh, okay, that's how it works. And then you can go and design, I guess, the, you know, the nice clean version. Do you do, you do that at all? Yeah, I, I do do that. And uh, I, I even take it so far as I won't pull things out into various methods until they are actually needed in that kind of sense. Like if I start to find that I'm using it over and over again, then I'll start adding a method. Um, but I think that's like something that is, uh, you know, that's kind of part of the reasoning or part of the thinking behind playgrounds. And I'm finding playgrounds are being very useful in that sense, like trying uh, trying something crazy out uh, to begin with, figuring out like an uh, like if I'm working on like some sort of algorithm or whatever that I've got to you know got to nail down. Uh, doing it in a playground first. I mean, I write Objective C, so I can't just copy and paste it back. I have to like think about what I'm writing still, even after I've you know figured it out. And because it's all in Swift, you know, it's there are differences there. But uh, overall, I find that using like separating it out and jumping into a playground and not having to think about all of the bits and pieces surrounding it make you think of it in a smaller, less kind of formal and kind of separated out fashion. Yeah, I find often what I'll do is I'll just hit, um, especially with Objective-C code, I'll just hit File, New Project, and make like a, an iOS app with like, you know, one view and put a button on the view. <laughs> and that's where I'll do like all my playground type stuff. I know it's a little bit more involved, but at least, you know, you can code in Objective-C if, if that's what you're trying to do. Yeah, well, I mean, some people also do things like, you know, write tests test-driven development. Yeah, so this is this is a really interesting thing. I'm not sure if you want to get into this, but this is <laughs> this is something that annoys me about our industry and it's not test-driven development as such. Like if yep. if your style of development is I have to write the test and then I have to write the code, I really don't care. Like if that's how you want to work, that's fine. What does kind of, um, I wouldn't say anger, it's probably like frustrate and annoy me is when people take a concept, like they take test-driven development or they take... Um, agile they take some other concept and they just apply that dogmatically to everything they're like if thou dost not write thy test before thy code then thou art not a real program and all that sort of like real high and mighty <laughs> kind of like turf war stuff that annoys the heck out of me because i mean i've been doing this yep. now like i say for 15 years and i honestly couldn't i couldn't give a damn like what your style is like as long as it's it's working and it's good and it produces like clean code it doesn't bother me what what does bother me is yeah all the people that will just say, no, this is how we must do it. Like there must be, um, you know, a test for every single method and anything that's not tested, if we don't have 100% coverage, then, you know, you can throw this code in the bin because it's no good. And you get that with so many things in the programming world. I don't know if you've ever sat down with a, you know, a group of programmers in an office and that tends to be where 
I don't know if it's rivalry or something kind of comes up and one person will say, you know, well, you have to do it like this because this is the only way to do it. And some other person will be like, no, like this is the one true way. And this often comes up with something as stupid as which line you put your braces on and whether you use, you know, four spaces or tabs. <laughs> and I really couldn't give a damn about either one. Like if you're one, if you're a person who puts their braces on the next line, all right, that's not how I write my code, but it doesn't make your code less readable. Like I, I still understand what you're doing. If you use four spaces instead of a tab, you know, I know I can look look at that in various editors and go, what you do that for? But it really doesn't matter. Like, that your code looks the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've gotten a lot better with the stylish stuff like that, or like whether or not a lot, like the, the uh, you know, curly braces on the next line or in the same line or if there are spaces in inside the brackets or not, or parentheses, whatever. But like the, the, that sort of stuff bothers me less now that I've done a lot, like I've done a lot more client work. Like having had client work behind me, I care a lot less about it because dear God, I have seen some bad code in my time. <laughs> this just in, Jelly doesn't care about his clients. Are you listening clients? It, it's the sort of thing where like I, I've seen some bad code and I don't want to have to, I'm not getting paid to fix, you know, you know, fix people's style issues or, or anything like that. I'm not getting paid for that sort of stuff i've got a particular job that i'm working on i just got to make that happen and everything else just you know does it it's it's it it falls into the category of not my problem yeah no i definitely agree with that because i mean that that's what i do nowadays as well so if i come across a piece of code and it works i am way less likely to rewrite it than i was you know say five years ago now i'm like you know what it works we're going to pretend that's a black box we're going to put that class somewhere else and we're not going to read it and this is where i equate it back to writing like i think Writing code is a lot like, you know, writing English and writing, you know, blog posts or books and things like that. I think every writer has yep. their own style. And I think to some extent that's fine. Like as, as long as your readers can pick up your book and understand it, get the meaning from it and enjoy reading it. Like the fact that your writing style is different to mine is is not important. Like I've heard a lot of people say, is it Twilight? I don't, don't remember. One of these books apparently everyone's like, oh, you know, from a literary perspective, the author is is terrible and it's poorly written. But I'm like, you know what? People really enjoy those books. Um, they seem to love them. They go crazy when the, you know, new one comes out or whatever. Like, obviously the author's doing something right. I, I think I've heard that about, I, I think I've heard that said about, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, that Fifty Shades of Grey is written really, really badly. Uh, maybe that's the one I'm thinking of. But anyway, yeah. same, same thing. But I, I get, I, I get what you're going with, what you're going for there. Like, I, I and the thing is, right? Like, uh, I mean, code is this, it, it's a sort of thing where maybe, maybe writing a test here and there would make my, uh, my life a whole lot better. Uh, maybe writing tests for every little bit of code, like maybe that would solve so many more more of my problems. Uh, before they, you know, before they showed their head in the first place. But I think at the end of the day, it does. It comes down to like what works for you. And I- I'm not gonna put myself through what is going to end up feeling like torture of writing tests every day, or like you know, it, it, before I write any code when I have. I have other, like, I, I have other ways of dealing with that sort of stuff, like, you know, like pre, pre-thinking stuff, writing stuff out, you know, um, figuring out, you know, a, a map of what, what's going, what needs to happen here and there and using those sort of things to shrink the, you know, the, the possibilities of things that could go wrong. Like that, that's more what I will do because that kind of works within the f- workflow that I have, uh, that, you know, that I've built over the years. But tests, not so much. And uh, I, I will write tests when and if I choose. Especially if my, it's you know my personal you know code that yeah it's not going to go anywhere. No, I feel exactly the same way. And I understand that if you're a person who works in a team, 
uh, let's say you work in a team of, you know, 10 programmers or whatever, that I understand that there has to be, you know, a fairly common style guide and there has to be some things that everyone in the team do because at the end of the day, all your code is going to go into a shared thing and it has to kind of look like it it belongs. So I'm not saying that you just, everyone has their own style and screw you everybody, but I am saying that, you know, when those 10 people get in a, in a room and decide how to do things, like there's no one true way to develop anything. Like you just have to be flexible. You're like, okay, this is the team that we've got. These are the kind of styles that we've got. This is the kind of product we're building. Um, here's the approach we're going to go with. And, you know, everyone kind of has to structure their thing around this. And I think that's perfectly fine. I think that's that's both the joy and the downside of working by yourself. Like when you work by yourself in your own code base, you can do whatever the hell you want. And, and often that's a good thing. And occasionally it can be a bad thing. You know, if you know there's no one um, checking up on you and there's not going to be any code reviews and that sort of thing, sometimes, you know, maybe you'll cut a few corners and that, and that kind of thing. Maybe you'll write that super messy version of the method and not go back <laughs> just, and just have a look, another and look at it, it afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you run the uh, the allocations tool and you'd be like, yeah, okay, it's using a little bit too much memory, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Why is this at in like the red all of the time? <laughs> Why? I don't understand. Yeah. I, 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 like, I, I think you're right. Like, I, I'm perfectly happy for somebody to, you know, if, if it works for people to do test driven development and they're, you know, super happy with it, then that's awesome. Uh, but I think, I think it comes down to you have to approach code in a way that makes you, makes you the happiest. Because I find that when I'm, you know, in a good mood, when I'm, you know, enjoying what I'm doing, I'm going to write better things. I'm going to do better things. I'm going to, you know, be more kind of clear, you know, clear minded. Uh, I'm going, so I'm going to write better code. If I am kind of forcing myself to, you know, step outside of, you know, uh, outside of that, uh, in too many ways, in too many things, that can be bad because it can it can drag you down, make you more stressed. Oh, am I doing this right? Did I do it? You know, have I have I solved it? It, it can make you, you, know, you because you're having to focus on something completely other uh, else uh, other than what you're actually trying to trying to build, trying to work on, trying to uh, affect. And I'm not saying that you should never try to stretch yourself and I'm not saying that you should never try to, you know, learn and grow because that's crazy. We said at the beginning, like it's part of the, part of it is, you know, you sometimes you have to be open. You need to be open to like, you know, the possibility that other people are, you know, that other people are right with what they're doing. It's got nothing to do with whether or not other people are right. It's got to do with you write better code when you're in a good state of being. And if you are trying to force yourself to be a lot more than what you actually are, then you're going to lower that that you know standard that you're outputting. Yeah, definitely. does that even make sense? That that makes a lot of sense. I'll tell you something that really bothers me. That's um, related to this is we love, love, love in this industry to um, try and compare ourselves to others. So I constantly yeah. am meeting programmers that want to prove that they're you know, better than you and they're smarter than you and something they did is is better than what you did. And I think as an industry, that's really not a healthy thing. Like the fact that there's so much, no. um, yeah, just so much of that going on. You know, I used to work at bigger companies where you just, you come across people like that. They're like, well, I wrote it like this and that's the better way to do it. And I don't know what this, you know, rubbish is that you've written, but, and they're just constantly trying to like, you know, prove that they're better than you. And it's just, I don't know how that's, at all helpful like the the times i've enjoyed programming the most and the times i've learned the most is when i've worked with other people 
um, you know, who are, who are probably better than me, but are just so like humble about it and just wanted to say like, hey, like, have you thought about this? And you'd be like, yeah, you know, I tried this and this. And they'd be like, oh, that's interesting. Like maybe, maybe try this. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And just that whole like, I'm not better than you. I'm just presenting a different way to do it. And whether that's actually better or not, like I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying, hey, here's a different way to think about it. Does this does this make your job easier? And that, that makes it way more easy to improve yourself when someone comes along and it'll be like, you know, I noticed that you did this. Um, you know, is there a reason you haven't thought about doing it like this instead? Like I'm not saying it's better, but, you know, have a look. And you're like, yeah, that's really nice. Whereas if someone comes along and they're like, Rusty, you're, you're a jerk face. This thing that you wrote is like absolute, insert swear word here. Like if you ever write this again, um, I'm not going to let you check it in or whatever. That's that's not a positive thing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, have you had that in your in your career? Yeah, no, I, I I definitely have, and it's not because, and it's not in so far as you know. I've I I mean, I've worked with a lot of people of varying uh, levels of experience, and on the whole, I find that you know when you when you approach a, a situation in a more humble manner, everybody wins. You know, I've I I, I work with like so I I work with people where. You know, I've been the better, you know, Objective C developer, but they're better at other things than than I am. Like they're, you know, they're a better, you know, web developer than I than I ever I, I am. And sometimes you just have to, you know, you, you you just have to kind of allow that to be. And I find that you know by approaching things and trying and and kind of putting for, things forward, putting ideas forward in a hum, like in a more humble manner, means that. For starters, they're going to take it better because you're not like you know if you if you approach things like oh the, what you've done here that's rubbish so what you need to do is this instead and I mean that's an extreme example but that kind of puts people on the back foot because you just you know you just dissed their dissed their work they might have spent you know hours on trying to get that right I mean not not only that but it actually takes a certain level of arrogance to say that my way is better like it may not actually be better yeah. And you you might not even realize that you're saying it. Like you might not outwardly say, "Wow, this code is really bad. It's rubbish," but you just kind of you know, uh, if if you don't even give it a you know a momentary like thought and just go straight into, "Oh, I would replace this with something else," it, it still can come across that way. Uh, I, I find that you know asking questions, "What did you do this? What did you? What made you kind of take uh, approach it this in this way?" First of all, your your learning about what their approach was so you could learn something there but you're also like you're building a conversation in and you're teaching you're teaching people like suggesting new ways of doing things should be kind of akin to teaching people and people take uh you know people learn better when they are kind of brought along for the journey as opposed to just like you know having you know having the solution provided to them. So if you can kind of you know ask questions about well, okay, well why did you do it this way rather than just straight up going into like well um, this is I, I would this is wrong I would do it this way. You're first of all learning where they're at, and you're you know you're you're also kind of helping them to understand what they've done wrong, so they can you know fix it in not kind of run into that problem in the future. You know the whole. Teach a man to fish or teach a man to code, whatever. <laughs> and he'll never go hungry again. Yeah, I don't know. But I I think the other thing to remember is that if I was to take code that you wrote today and put it in front of you, you can find lots of ways to improve that. Like you'll find problems with it. Um, you'll find things that it, that um, can be changed. You'll find things that can be optimized. You you look at it and you become like, oh, why did why did that person do that? So if if you can put your own code in front of yourself and instantly you know find improvements in it, then it stands to reason that you can also do that with other people's code. So 
I think people think that's way more unusual than it actually is. Like it, it would be way more unusual if I put a piece of code in front of a program and they're like, no, can't can't see any way at all to like improve anything there. That's just not the programming methodology. And that's why you shouldn't be so down on people because at the end of the day, you'd be just as down on yourself. Like if I managed to erase all your memories from today and give you the code that you wrote today, you you could potentially be brutal. You'd be like, oh, why did this person do this? And this was a stupid thing and this should be improved. And all along, you know, that person was you. <laughs> Does that make any sense? You know what I'm saying? No, that totally makes sense. The more accepting that you are of the way that, like, you know, the way that other people have, uh, you know, have done their code, the more kind of uh, overall open that you are, I think the better that you will, like, I mean, for starters, you'll make more friends that way by being the <laughs> jerk that just, that just, you know, jumps in and corrects everybody whenever. Uh, that makes you the, the, that, that makes you the jerk. That makes you the, uh, the bad guy. Yeah. And pro, pro tip, if you work in an office and no one there does that, it might be you because, because in my experience, there is, there is always one. So just, just sit down and reflect on that. But I think, I think kind of what we're getting at is there are a whole bunch of things that go into making good code. And code is like, it's, I always think about it as like an evolution or a continuum. Like you never get, very rarely anyway, do you get to the perfect code base? You're like, there, there can be no more improvements upon this piece of code. Like there, there are always things to tweak and always things to improve and performance optimizations, you know, that can be made. So I think you just have to treat it like that. You know, it's, it's always a work in progress as long as, you know, it's concise, it's easy to read. It's all these things that we were talking about. Like, you know, it might not be perfect, but it doesn't have to be perfect. Like I don't think that anything in the programming world, you know, would be considered perfect. You know, any piece of code or any piece of software or anything that we've ever made in the, in the software space, like, I don't know, there's just there's just nothing out there that's that's absolute. Like everything is in a constant state of, of movement, if that makes sense. I, I agree. And it like... At the end of the day, if your code is like the Da Vinci type of code and my code is like a Picasso, then, you know, they're, they're still, it's, that's okay. Like the fact that, you know, that, that they're different doesn't necessarily make them worse. It just makes them different. It's, yeah. So it is like art. It is like art. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the cool thing I'm trying to say is that there's a lot of science in programming. So I won't deny that, especially if you're doing, um, you know, 3D stuff. There's a lot of matrices. There's a lot of, um, you know, fancy mathematical concepts. But there's a lot of art in programming as well. There's a lot of almost design in the the way you kind of lay it out and the way you structure, you know, your methods and your classes and your functions and your enums and, you know, what spaces you put where and which comments you put where. I think there's a real there's a real art form for that. And I, I really enjoy sometimes looking at code where it's clear that whoever wrote it actually spent some time on legibility. So not just Hey, this program works, and it you know that puts the correct um, response with the correct set of inputs. It's it's legible as well. I think that's that's where the kind of art to it really comes in. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, how does one normally wrap up a mobile couch? I assume you're not you know into the booms on this podcast. We don't really do the booms here. The booms, the booms don't really don't really kind of fit with our thing. If it feels really odd, by the way, to, to say the word boom and the podcast doesn't end. I'm like, wow. This is a it's a whole yeah. new world. It's it, I I think it might be a problem with the with the top with topical that every time you say boom that it ends. Whereas here <laughs> it's just like I can boom 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 and it and it doesn't like you can the, like boom the, the recording doesn't like immediately stop. It's I suppose weird, your your listeners weird, will be less thing. anxious as well. They'll be like, oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I have more of a sense of when the podcast is actually going to end. And at least some of them are like, what are these people talking about? <laughs> no, see, the way that we wrap up the podcast is, first of all, uh, I will say that there are there are show notes. And I don't know if there actually is any show notes, so that might actually make it a lot easier for people. Uh, but just in the in the small case that there is, there might be some some somewhere, you can uh, jump onto the Mobile Couch website. It's mobilecouch.co forward slash 74 because that is the episode number. You can also... Uh, you can also get in touch with us or, you know, in touch with Ben and I anyway through, through the mobile couch email, which is hello at mobilecouch.co. Oh, yes. So you can, you can say as many bad things yeah. about me as you want because I, w- I won't be reading that email. Yeah. Russell won't, won't, won't read them. So that, that's the perfect place to send all of your comments about Russell and about his terrible ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Go to town, people. Go to town. So it's hello at mobilecouch.co or you can jump on the website, which is uh, mobilecouch.co forward slash contact. Now, if you would like to get in touch with us individually, you can do that as well. Russell is on Twitter as Russell, no, Rusty Shelf. I had to think about it there for a second. It's Rusty Shelf, R-U-S-T-Y-S-H-E-L-F. Did I spell that correctly? Yes, I think I did. I think you did. And I am Jelly Bean Soup. J E L L. Y B E A N S O U P. Yeah, I never spell. I never spell it because it's like they're simple, simple words. Oh, and, and rusty words. shelf isn't very it's simple. So corroded shelves are too complicated for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, it might be a wooden shelf, and it doesn't actually get rusty, and so that gets very confusing for people because wood doesn't undergo the same oxidization process that metal can do because not all metals. Deal with it in the same way. Wow, this has turned into so uh, the Mobile Couch Science podcast. Yes, yes. Uh, mobile Couch versus, we like to call it. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening. It has been wonderful to talk to you yet again. Uh, I'm, we're glad to be back. You know, even though we were, it's only been two weeks since the last episode. Uh, but it's glad we're glad to be in 2016. It's amazing already. Already, it's amazing. Woohoo! Thank you to our patrons uh, who support the show, who help to make uh, the show possible. But just thank you for listening. And uh, we will see you again. We, well, we'll talk to you again in two more weeks' time. And Ben will be back. Woohoo. That's true. Ben will be back. In, in Canberra, no less. In Canberra. Whoa. Until then, goodbye. Adios. <laughs>